it's so good to be here, and isn't it great just giving thanks to, to God for uh, our, our children? Um, God gives us so many good gifts, and it's wonderful just to be able to give thanks for that. But, you know, here at Grace Church, we love the Bible because we see that the Bible speaks into every situation of our lives. And so there will be those here, this morning has already been mentioned, it's not always an easy day. Some will be absolutely rejoicing with all that's going on in their lives, and others may be struggling a bit, because Mother's Day isn't always an easy day for different reasons. But you know, the Word of God, we believe, speaks into every single one of our circumstances and our situations. And we're going to see that this morning. We've been working through the, the, the book of Exodus, which is the story of how God deals with his, his uh, chosen people, Israel, as they came out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land after 40 years of wandering through uh, the wilderness. And we're going to look at this story again this morning. And I believe we're going to see how God speaks into our situation. So we're going to be in Exodus 32 and uh, the golden calf, which I'm sure will be a familiar story to, to many of us. But just as a bit of, a, bit of background, um, Moses has been up Mount Sinai with Aaron and other leaders to meet with God, and they, they received the law. And we heard a bit about that last week, all these different laws and regulations and things which God gave uh, to, to Moses and to pass down to the people. So he comes back down the mountain, and he explains all these laws, and they, he tells the people what they're meant to do and, and how to follow Jesus. And, and the people have seen amazing things happen. They've seen this, the, the mountain trembling with the presence of God. And there's, uh, in fact, I can hear some trembling going on right now. Wow, God's here. And uh, the mountain's trembling, and, the, and, 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 you, and the, the cloud comes down on the mountain, and amazing things happening. And so Moses has come down, he's, he's given this, uh, the law to, to, to the people, and uh, then he's going back up the mountain with, to get the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And he told Aaron and the other leaders, go back down to the camp and wait until he returns. So in Exodus 24, which you've already covered, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And uh, the, the Israelites, they saw this glory of the Lord, amazing, consuming fire on, on top of the mountain. And then Moses is up in this cloud and he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. That's where we're at. So he's gone back up to get the tablets of stone, and he's up there in the mountain, and 40 days and 40 nights. Now what we're going to do, we're going to follow through uh, Exodus 32, so if you've got a Bible with you, please do turn to it. It'll be up on the screen. And we're going to take it section by section. Okay, so I'll read a bit, and then we'll stop. So, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain... They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. All right, we'll stop there for a moment. When, when we read this, this passage, it, it's so easy to look back in hindsight and think, why did they do that? And that's so often the case with anything that's happening in our lives. It's easy to look back in hindsight. But at the time, it doesn't always work that way. So here we are. They've received the law, and they've been told, they've seen these incredible things happen, and uh, the people have seen amazing miracles throughout their whole, whole time. 
okay? And it seems incredible that people who have seen so many miracles, even now seeing the glory of God on the mountain, should so quickly fall back and do the very thing they've just been told not to do. Don't make other gods and don't make any other images of God. Forty days, Moses is up the mountain. Now, I don't know... I don't know at what stage they started to get restless, but 40 days is just over a month, five weeks or so, not long. And they'd heard the commands from Moses before he went back up the mountain. And the very first two commandments, don't have any other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. That's what they've been told. And what do they do? Hey, Aaron, come, make us a god. Do the very thing that God's just told us not to do, that we've heard through Moses. The two most important commandments, and they break them. Why do they respond like this? I mean, we look at it and think, this is ridiculous. Why do they do that? They've seen incredible miracles. They've been taken out of Egypt. They saw God deliver them through the, the plagues which happened in Egypt. They go into the wilderness. They cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh and all the dirty, rotten Egyptians could fall into the sea. They'd rescued from that. They have a cloud to follow by day and a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They're out of water. Rock is broken. Water comes out of the rock. They've got no food. Manna comes from heaven. Fed up with manna. Let's have some meat. Quail come. All these amazing miracles they've seen, one after another, after another. And then Moses is up the mountain 40 days and they get bored. Where is this old fella? This fella, they call him. They treat him like he's just some, you know, some nobody. We don't know what's happened to this fella, Moses. Aaron, come and make us some gods. I mean, it's laughable. It's unbelievable to think, why did they do it? I don't understand it. When I read Exodus, I don't understand why they do it. But as we'll see so often, we do exactly the same things. You know, there's the awesome sight of God's presence on Mount Sinai. And despite all these amazing miracles, they turn around to Aaron and say, this fellow Moses, we don't know what's happened to him, make us some gods who have delivered us out of the land of Egypt. And as we go through this passage this morning, we're going to see how the people respond, and then we see how God responds, and the contrast there is between the two. But the people's response is they're restless and they're impatient. That's their first immediate thing. We don't know where Moses is. They're restless and impatient. 40 days is no time at all. Yet soon they, so soon they start to question what's happened to Moses. Why is it taking so long? We're stuck here in this wilderness and this so-called leader Moses, where is he? Stuck up some mountain. But it's so similar to how easily we become restless and impatient when things don't go the way we want them to go. And I know that uh, I'm not actually particularly good at this myself. I tend to be a bit of an impatient sort of person myself. It says in in Galatians 5 that the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and uh, self-control. And and those two I've been working at all my life, and I've still got a bit of a way to go. And a good example, just just recently, we have problems in um, uh, in our house with the um, with the shower, and it's to do with the hard water. And often the shower will grow cold. 
Now, there's a certain John Peel in, in, in this church who's outstanding when it comes to plumbing. And I've used John before, and, and he's fixed it for me. So what I've done is I've watched. I thought, I know what to do. So when a few weeks ago, the, um, when a few weeks ago the shower started going cold, I said to Anne, no problem. I can deal with it. I can do it. I know what to do. She said, are you sure? Shouldn't you wait and ask John to come? No, I know what I'm doing. So I say... I have to turn the water off. That's the first thing to do. So I turn the cold water off and then cinch. I'll take the, I'll take the shower apart, take out the filter where all this crud gets involved and stops the, it working and put it back together. No problem. So I go ahead, turn off the water, take the, sh- the, the shower off and suddenly there's water spurting everywhere. There's water in the bathroom. There's water over me. I mean, ah! And then I remembered. It's a pressurised system. I need to let the pressure out and let the, the, the hot water out first before I started doing it. And my dear wife, why is it she's always right? And <laughs> why did I not wait? Why did I not wait and be patient? Because something within me says, I know best. I can do it. God, I don't understand why I've got to wait. And that's what the people of Israel were doing. They could not understand. Why do we have to wait? Why hasn't God answered? This is tough. How long have I got to endure this waiting? We want to get on. We're stuck in this wilderness. We want to get on to the promised land. We can't wait for this man Moses to come down. And in this room, there will be those of you who are feeling just like that. You may have been coping with various challenges uh, you're asking, how much longer must I wait? You may, it's been great seeing the, the, the uh, giving thanks for babies this morning, but you may be a couple who've been waiting to have children and it's not happened. It's a painful time when you see something like this. How long must I wait? You may be in a difficult job situation and can't wait to change your job. How long must I wait? You've been struggling financially. How long must I wait? You know, uh, That has been my experience of many of those situations. We didn't think we'd be able to have children. And when everyone else is having children and we'd suffered the second miscarriage, it's tough. How long must I wait? I'd been in a job which I couldn't stand. I must get out of this job. How long must I wait? And it's so easy in those situations to turn back to the things which comfort us most. I want to be comforted in the midst of these hardships. And I've been there. My personal story is there's times when I've turned to things other than the one thing I should turn to and done the very thing that I shouldn't do and rather than trusting the very one who can provide the answer. It's so easy in these circumstances to say, God, where are you? And you may be in that situation this morning. And in those times when temptation is to turn to other gods and other things to satisfy and find comfort elsewhere... God wants us to know that he is the one who gives ultimate peace, ultimate joy, ultimate comfort, and ultimate pleasure. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, chapter 7, verse 23, said this, and this is what God was saying, but I gave them this commandment, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. God really does know best. He really does. We think we do, but we don't. Our lives will always go well when we walk in obedience to God. That's why Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Look, if you live this way, it will go well with you. That's not to say we don't have problems. 
That's not to say we're not going to go through times when life is really tough. It must have been pretty tough in the wilderness, getting fed up with manna every day and bored to tears with this same old, same old, same old. But there was an ultimate purpose, and God always knows best. Across our gathering this morning, there will be a multitude of situations where you will be struggling. Some have had a wonderful week, and others may be thinking, it is so tough. Some will be rejoicing, some will be saying, I'm not very happy at the moment. I'm struggling with illness, I'm struggling with all these things. But God does know best. Whatever the need, our greatest need is for a relationship with God himself. God always wants to have a relationship with us. That's what was happening through the wilderness. God, time and time again, was coming to the people of Israel, children of Israel, I want you to know my presence. So the first thing, they're impatient, they're restless, and let's see what happens next. So we'll move on to the next few verses. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They're restless, they're impatient, so what do they do? They decide to take the solution into their own hands. In their impatience, they think, we know best, God doesn't, we know best, we're going to sort out the answer. In the same way as I decided, I know best, I'll sort out the plumbing, and uh, the consequences were there to be seen afterwards. In making a calf as an idol, they're effectively acting on what they've been continually saying every time they hit a problem in the wilderness, they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. It was much better in Egypt. We were better off there. We were better off as slaves. Yes, they're running back to the very thing that had enslaved them. It wasn't just a case of, what shall we worship? It was a very deliberate act to turn around to Aaron and go and produce a golden calf. And the reason they did that is, the Egyptians worshipped a, go- a-, a cow god. They worshipped a cow. That's crazy. But they did. That's what they did. They worshipped a god in the form of a cow. And you'll recall, recall that when we covered Exodus earlier on and went through the plagues, and there were various types of plagues, one of the plagues was against the livestock of the land. And the reason that is, is because they, Egyptians worshipped this cow god. So God then... Uh, cast this, this plague that all the livestock would, would die. And they did. And there was this terrible stench throughout all Egypt as this, the, the, the livestock were, were, were dying as a result of this plague. And effectively, God was saying, this God is no God at all. It's a dead God. And now the Israelites are saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. It's crazy. That's why sin is so horrendous, so horrendous. It's laughable, and it's why it's so offensive to God. God crushed that God clearly in front of their eyes. This cow God was crushed and destroyed. It was dead, and he did it in such a public way. And what do they choose? Let's have a cow God. What should we have to worship? I know, let's have that old cow God that the Egyptians had. Why is it they run straight back to the very thing from which they've been delivered? It's just foolish. 
And we look at it now and we think it's mad. Rebellion against God makes you act like a fool. That's what they're doing. They're acting foolish. But also note, it says up here, it's God's. I've often thought, why does it say God's? Because it's a single calf. It's a cow. It's a golden cow. Why is it God's? Well, it's God's because, let's read on in verses uh, 5 and onwards. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Aaron fudges it. That's what he's done. He's fudged it. Because Aaron knows, actually, this isn't really a God. The Lord, he is God. He is the one who is God. So what they're doing is they're mixing things together. Yet, we'll worship God the Lord, but we're also going to worship this cow God. And in that moment, it feels good. They have lots of fun and revelry and party. They party and shout and dance and around this dead golden cow and around the altar to the Lord. And we laugh at what seems so foolish, but why is it that when we are struggling because God hasn't answered, what do we do? We turn to the things that bring us comfort, to those gods and those idols that bring us comfort. We know that God is God. When I've hit challenges, I know who God is. But there's just that other thing which will comfort in the moment. And that's what we do. We mix. And this is what's happened here. There's a mixture. We'll worship God, but actually there's this cow God as well. Because the cow God gives us the immediate. We're looking for the immediate answer, the immediate comfort, the immediate revelry. We've all done it. I've done it. Turn into things that this world has to offer only to find that they don't satisfy. They can't satisfy. You know, we think, I'll get a bigger house. It'll satisfy. No, it doesn't because the mortgage rate goes up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to, 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 to this relationship. What I need is a relationship. That will comfort me. No, it doesn't, because it breaks. You know, we can look to all the things that we think will bring comfort and ultimately find they never bring comfort because the only one who can bring comfort is God himself who wants to have a relationship with his, pe- with his people and which he always wanted. It's not that I don't acknowledge God. I do. I know that God is Lord. Aaron knew that he was the Lord. It's not that he doesn't acknowledge it. It's that there's a compromise going on. And acknowledging God as the true Lord and appeasing the people with this cow God. And isn't it so like us? It's so like me. The instant. I need the immediate to give me comfort. But actually waiting for the one who gives ultimate comfort is a far, far superior thing to do. And in taking their frustration out with the delay into their own hands, the Israelites turn to a God that just doesn't satisfy. There's the immediate sense of joy in partying, partying, but it's soon short-lived. And our problem is that we we want answers to our problems, whatever they may be. Whatever your situation is this morning, I know we've each got things we're longing for answers to. I've still got things I'm longing to have answers to and longing for resolution and it's so easy to take it into my own hands and, uh, and my own solution, only to find it doesn't work. How much better it is to wait upon the one who does bring an answer. You know, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 10. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, loving father or mother or child, as we saw this morning, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually very good. It's good to love our children. Parents this morning have been promising that they will bring the children up in the knowledge of God and love of God. We're praying that they would know the presence of God in their parenting. There's nothing wrong with loving mother or father or child. In fact, if you do it the way that God says, to love him first, you will be the best father, the best mother, and the best child. All those relationships will be far superior because... You're not thinking of yourself, you're thinking of others. Because when we love God first, we will naturally love better in our, all our relationships. So when you read these verses, you think, that seems so hard. No, no, it's not hard at all. Because putting God first will always, always result in those other relationships being loved all the more. And when we say... Only a relationship will satisfy. We are in danger of doing the very things the Israelites did here, of saying that is more important than God. No, there's only one to serve, and that is the Lord himself. And eventually, that becomes clear. Because God loves us, because he's faithful, he won't let us stay in this foolish state. And he wasn't going to let the Israelites stay in this foolish state. We'll read on, verse 7 to to nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the, in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. So now we come to how God responds. What does he do? What's happening here? While the people are down in their revelry, worshipping this stupid cow God, what's God doing? Well, the first thing is he sees. Our actions are never hidden from God. He always sees. And when we take actions into our own hands, God sees and he passionately cares He cares about his people. He sees they're rebellious and stiff-necked. Even in his anger, he's aware of their frailty. And even when we muck up, God is aware. He sees and he cares. So in seeing, he's not going to allow Israel to stay where they're at. He sends Moses back down the mountain. Now, I want us to jump down to verse 15. We'll miss a few verses and jump down to 15. We'll come back later. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It's not the sound of victory, it's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, 
breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Moses has just spent 40 days and nights in the presence of God. And when he sees what the Israelites have done, his anger burns. And he's seen sin for what it is and exposes it right there and then. So God not only sees, he exposes the lie. The lie that this God can provide for you. He exposes it. And when we spend time in the presence of God, we see sin for what it is. Moses had been right up in God's presence. And we'll see in a minute that his face shone as a result of it. When we spend time with God, everything else falls into its right perspective. And we see sin for how ugly it is. Moses has grown in stature throughout his leading of the people. He's come a long way from when he, he saw God in the burning bush and he says, I can't lead my people. He found every excuse under the sun. I can't talk. And uh, God says, well, how about Aaron? He can talk, your brother. And it's like that's where Moses was. Look at where he's at now in his walk with God and in staying in the presence of God. His face starts to shine, he experiences God, and he sees sin for what it is. When we spend time with God, we see how foolish it is to turn to anything else other than the one and only true God. And he's grown in stature through spending time in God's presence. God hates sin. It's such an affront to his kindness and his faithfulness. The problem is we don't see it that way. We don't see just how obnoxious it is when we try to take things into our own hands and do it our own way. But God, in his mercy, when he brings discipline, as he does in this situation, it's because he wants us to see how abhorrent is our sin to him and how good he is. We want to say, I know best, and God says, I know best. So Moses, he destroys the golden calf, grinds it to powder, and made the Israelites drink it. Now that does seem weird. Don't, don't you think? I thought it was weird when you see that. So what, what's going on here? I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, the idol needs to be utterly destroyed. These idols in our lives need a radical response. When we're aware of those things which compete with our relationship with God, it needs a radical response. You know what they are. We don't tolerate it. It needs to be radically destroyed. And that's what uh, Moses is doing here. He destroys the golden calf. But secondly, why did he tell them when he ground it all down to, and mixed it with water and tell the Israelites to drink it? Why did he do that? Well, I think, this is my perception, I think by drinking it, the remains of the idol, it's though as recognizing that sin has its consequences and it affects us. And if it goes unchecked, it can ruin us. God, in his mercy, does not want us to go down that route and allow it to destroy destroy us. It's an act of mercy. In other words, Aaron ensures that the golden calf is utterly destroyed and seen to be the lie that it really is. It's never going to satisfy, never going to give you what you want. It just destroys And then look at Aaron's response to all this as Moses challenges him. I love this. 
He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, they said to me make us gods and we'll go, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I, I told them, whoever has any gold or jewelry, jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I mean, it's laughable. It really is laughable. He's acting like a child. Isn't that what we do when we're confronted with our sin? Oh, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It just came. It just happened. You know, threw in the gold, out popped this car. No, don't be so stupid, Aaron. You made the mold. You, you cast a mold in order to form this golden calf. Don't blame someone else. That's what Adam did when Eve sinned. It's her fault. She's the one you should be... No, Adam, you sinned. And when we sin, we need to take the blame for what we have done. This calf didn't just pop out. Aaron, you were actively involved in the process. Don't give me that, Aaron. You're being an idiot. What do we do when our sin is exposed? It's so easy to blame someone else. You know, my finances, they're tough. I'm not paid enough. That's why I just, you know, I compromise a bit on the expenses because I'm not really paid properly. We sin of our own accord. We do it when we take it into our own hands. And then one final point on this section. Uh, Verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. As we heard last week, there are some passages of Scripture which are hard to understand. And you look at this and you think, that's a bit fierce, isn't it? Go back and forth and kill your brother. And what's, what, what's going on here? Well, note, it does say, Moses gave this offer, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. There was an offer, if you are for the Lord, come to me. If you're not then accept the consequences. That's effectively what was going on. They'd all participated in this act of rebellion, but when it's exposed, there's the offer to repent and return to the Lord. And God is compassionate. He loves us. He is so compassionate that when we mess up, he wants us to turn to him. They weren't just destroyed. No, they were given the opportunity to repent, turn to me. It will do you good. And it's important to see what's happening here because Israel were God's chosen people. They were called to be a light to the nations. Sin and rebellion had to be dealt with. God wants a holy people, a nation for his own possession. And when we recognize our sin, God will never turn us away. When we turn to him in true repentance, he won't push us away. That's his love and his grace, which we've seen right through the book of Exodus. He continually reaches out to his people. Though time and time and time again they muck up, time and time and time and time again, God is faithful and comes back and offers the opportunity to repent. When we recognize our sin, God will never turn us away. When we turn to him in true repentance, no matter 
how many times we fall, and we all do, he is faithful to forgive. And throughout this event, there's been this ongoing dialogue uh, between Moses and God. Remember this Moses who, who was so uh, inadequate at the start of the journey, now is growing in stature. There's been this dialogue between Moses and God. And Moses is pleading with God and God relenting, relenting against destroying the Israelites. We'll re- jump back to those verses which we missed. Verse 9. And uh, we're, we're drawing to a close now. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them? In the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Even before Moses had come back down the mountain and broken the tablets, even before then, he's pleading with God, no, look, they're your people. Fulfill your promises. Don't break your promises. What will the, Israelite, what will the Egyptians say if they see that you've turned back on your promises to have a people for your own possession? Don't do it, Lord. He's interceding. The people deserve to be cut off from God for this horrendous sin that they have committed. But Moses is pleading don't let it happen and he's this ongoing intercession and then we'll jump down to the bottom of the chapter which is verse 30 so he's come back down the mountain he's got angry seen the sin and then he says the next day Moses said to the people you've committed a great sin but now I will go to the Lord perhaps I can make atonement for your sin lastly God is faithful to his promises Moses sees the desperate state of the people that they've committed a great sin and he pleads with God to make atonement, in effect, to stand in their place. And, of course, Moses, we heard earlier in this preaching series, is a type of Christ. Moses was standing before the people, but Moses was sinful. Moses mucked up. How many times did Moses muck up? Jesus will never, ever fail us. He intercedes for us continually. And we have this wonderful assurance that our sins are forgiven because Jesus died and rose again on the cross. And so there's this ongoing exchange. And uh, we just uh, jump forward a couple of chapters to uh, chapter 34 and verse 10. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you who you live among, will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Moses' intercession has worked, if you like. God has reaffirmed his promises. 
but almost more than that. I'm going to do amazing wonders amongst you. Isn't that the grace and the goodness of God? That Jesus forgives us our sin. We can have a relationship with him. No matter how many times we muck up, no matter how many times we we fail, he's faithful to his promises. He will always fulfill his promises. He pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. We don't deserve his goodness and his grace. Yet time and time and time again, we find the presence and the blessing of God. This is the good news of this series, that when we fail and when we're faithless, God is faithful. That when we're impatient, God comes to us because he's patient. The Israelites fall and fall and fall again. What a desperate state. We turn to foreign gods that cannot satisfy how we need a saviour. I need a saviour. I need Jesus. Only he can satisfy my deepest needs. Only he can forgive me for the number of times I fall and I fail. And some of you will come here today and maybe you've taken things into your own hands. You're impatient for God to give an answer. So you try and find the quick solution to your problems without waiting and trusting upon God himself. Jesus has paid the price for your sin. His sacrifice is totally accepted by God, by which we can be declared righteous. Isn't it just wonderful, the wonderful gospel, that no matter how many times we fail and follow, even follow false gods, when we turn to him in true repentance, he pours out his love and his spirit upon us. It would be good if the band could uh, come up. And um, I, I just want to reassure us this morning, nothing... Nothing can thwart God's promises. 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had been with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Moses, radiant because he'd been in the presence of God. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing Jesus and knowing his presence. I love to be in the context where we worship together. Now, it may be you've messed up. Uh, Perhaps you've rebelled against God and... You want to know his love and forgiveness and find satisfaction in his presence. I believe that God wants to give that to us today. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you think, I don't know what he's on about. Well, I want to say this. This world does not satisfy. We live in a world and in a culture where all the things we are told bring satisfaction never do. But we know that Jesus can bring ultimate peace and satisfaction satisfaction by relationship with him or perhaps you're struggling and wondering why God hasn't answered you're impatient and you're waiting and you've made rash decisions he wants you to find joy and peace in your circumstances so let's stand together we have got access into the very presence of God Galatians 5 verse 1 it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I just want to uh, offer the opportunity for 
to receive prayer as you worship this morning. If you know that you've mucked up, God wants to come to you and reassure you of his love and his forgiveness. And if you've been waiting for something, perhaps you've been waiting and waiting and God still hasn't answered and you're struggling, you think, God, you know how much I've been praying. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just about to give up. I believe that God wants to come to you this morning as well and to reassure you that he can give you all that you need. So as we sing, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you'd like prayer, to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Jesus is the one who gives us all that we need. Lord, we thank you for your, your love and your mercy. Lord, we want to know you and your love and your presence poured out upon us. You are a good God and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.